You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Lockdown Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball. Stay informed by making us part of your routine. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Lockdown Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And Kyle, we teased your article in The Athletic uh, yesterday. That uh, We teased it yesterday, but it came out today. Uh, an article on Olivier Saar where you spoke to uh, Josh Pastner of Georgia Tech, uh, Leonard Hamilton of Florida State, Notre Dame's Mike Bray, Pittsburgh's Jeff Capel, and then Danny Manning, who, of course, coached Olivier Saar there at Wake Forest, uh, to, to get a feel from all of them about, uh, one, should he get his waiver? Will he get his waiver? And then, two, uh, what kind of player he has been in the ACC, what kind of player he will be for Kentucky and what he'll bring to UK. So we'll we'll discuss that, but... Uh, the big topic of discussion coming out of the athletics, something that kind of overshadowed your article there on Kentucky uh, related article was that one that Sam Bassini came out with uh, who covers uh, NBA for the athletic and does this series that he did last year. And it's NBA draft college coaches poll where he uh, talks to college coaches about different NBA draft prospects and in exchange for their anonym, anonymity, um, they give you know their their most honest opinions, and they didn't hold anything back when it came to Kentucky. And this one that Sam Vicini did uh, today was all on Kentucky's players. So it was Ashton Hagens, Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey, Nick oh. Richards, EJ Montgomery, and he threw Khalil Whitney in there as well. And these coaches were not very kind. Uh, they didn't hold anything back at all. And one one in particular uh, that was really scathing was uh, what what one coach thought of Ashton Hagens. He called him trash. So yeah. I, I don't I don't uh, think he's really even that good defensively. I mean, my gosh, they were they were not kind to Ashton Hagens. I don't nobody really gave him a good review. No. Let's see how many coaches there were. There were seven, seven, seven coaches that were asked about Ashton Hagens. Um, and, uh, let me see if I could find the one who said, uh, trash, uh, was it coach? Yeah. Coach number seven. Don't even get me started on Hagens. I think he's trash. I just don't think he's very good. I think he thinks he's a lot better than what he is. Defensively, everyone talks about him, and on film, he for sure disrupts, yada, 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 but it's kind of overstated. I think he's a selfish defender. He wants deflections and steals. That was one of seven coaches. The other ones weren't as harsh, but some of them said, yeah, he's a good defender. Some of them said "Uh, he's overrated as a defender, and then none of them feel like he's going to be anything in the NBA. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk today about, you know, whether or not you should let anonymous coaches sort of rip these kids. Um, And I'm, you know, I I think Sam does a great job. It it makes me a little uneasy um, when you give these guys anonymity and these coaches, assuming, I mean, they're all coaches who faced Kentucky. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're all SEC coaches. I don't think he specified that. 
But you have to assume with seven of them quoted um, that some of them are, you know, a good number of them are SEC coaches. So these are Kentucky's rivals. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, they're people that are recruiting against them. Um, and with anonymity, they can be as harsh as they want to be. You, know, you can really throw any sling, any mud you want to sling uh, when your name is not attached to it. And Cal Perry right. came out and, and tweeted that it was always dis- – he didn't specifically say the article, but he just said it was really always disappointing to him when coaches trash kids anonymously, uh, and you'd like to think that just to hurt a program, they wouldn't hurt a kid. Um, right. And so I, I think that's all fair, you know, and, and Joel Justice came out and said, you know, I love reading that, that article from a bunch, basically from a bunch of coaches who couldn't beat us. Um, right. Because, you know, what I would say. Tough guy is, coaches is what he called them. There's a couple things I would say. One is if we're really honest uh, about the, the way most people feel, watching a lot of these guys play, a lot of these assessments are pretty accurate. I mean, there's a lot of things you can criticize about Ashton Hagens. I mean, he kind of screwed his team at the end of the year. You know, I think by the end, my my sense was that the Kentucky staff was pretty well ready for him to move on. Um, you know, he got in a screaming argument with Nick Richards on the court and then John Calipari on the sideline, and then all of a sudden he's not on the trip at Florida. Um, you know, and, and he was, he was really melting down in terms of the way he was playing at the end of the season, turning it over a bunch. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would look at him and say, you, you could at least make the argument. He is a great defender. I don't think that is debatable, but you could make that argument that there's an element of selfishness in it. Uh, it's a weird thing to say, like when a guy that like plays really hard on defense is selfish, because usually that's the mark of a good teammate, but he gambled a lot. Uh, defensively he was always kind of going for the steal and the deflection uh, you can make that argument um and he doesn't know. finish around the rim and he's not a good shooter and he's not a great passer i mean we've seen all there's that. a reason That's- yeah there's there's a reason that he's widely projected to go either late second round or not be picked at all so you know there's some criticisms there like anything that anybody wanted to say to criticize ej montgomery is pretty much fair uh, wasn't a great player, certainly did not live up to the hype. And then he just bolted school with no real, uh, you know, expectation that he's going to get drafted. So yeah. like one thing I'd say is a lot of the criticisms I see in there are fair. I think some of the language was harsh. I think calling Hagen's trash was uh, a bit much. Yeah, um, I think you so know, too. It's a little I, too far. I was a little surprised that people were not as high on Emmanuel quickly as I would have thought. Um, I would think that you know, from the Kentucky perspective, that was probably one that people that, that the Kentucky staff would probably be really disappointed in because I think they were incredibly proud of sort of the development of Emmanuel quickly and of Nick Richards. I think that's where their beef would be that that the there wasn't as much praise as you would think. For, mm-hmm. you know, two guys who stuck around, who developed, who, you know, both at one point were considered the favorite to win SEC Player of the Year and quickly did, um, that the that those reports were not as positive, I think probably is a surprise to me and I think was disappointing to Kentucky. Um, you know, I think, I think any criticism of Khalil Whitney is totally fair. Um, right. You know, Tyrese Maxey is a really imperfect guy for a guy who's a high, high-end player and, and may still go in the lottery and was you know considered a top 10 recruit uh he was hit or miss you know he'd have these huge games and then he'd have some games where it looked like he was just really not had not really figured it out and I think some of the some of the critiques of his game are fair in there uh, and so I'm a little torn on that piece just like I again 
no criticism of Sam because I think Sam is does a great job and and this is an interesting series and it's not just like oh taking pot you know letting anonymous people just take pot shots at Kentucky he's doing this for all the prospects that are you know draftable prospects you know we're going to see that for you know guys like Cole Anthony and and Anthony Edwards and you know I would imagine guys there are going to be several that that the um, in fact, I talked to Sam. There are players that I know that when their piece comes out, uh, there are going to be some very critical comments from coaches. So it's not just like an attack Kentucky thing. Uh, I think when coaches are anonymous, they feel sort of emboldened to, yeah, to, to say some things they wouldn't necessarily say if they attached their name to it. But I also don't love that. Like I, if I'm a coach and I want to criticize a, a guy that's you know 19 or 20 years old whatever I think is worth saying, I think I'd want to put my name on it. Uh, yeah. But you know, that's just me, but yeah, it's, it's definitely stirred, stirred some things up today for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll dive in a little more into this. Uh, when we return here on locked on Kentucky, you are locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, we're back here on Lockdown Kentucky. Kyle, we're talking about Sam Vicini's article and, uh, you know, anonymous coaches, and he's got seven of them. And he he makes a point when he wraps it up, like his own comments at the end, because he kind of gives his his own take on what he heard and what he thinks uh, in response to what he heard. And he mentions that when it came to EJ Montgomery, he didn't let, he didn't go on and let all, and print all seven coach's comments and, and he says i didn't even ask uh i thought it was overkill i didn't including with um khalil whitney uh i just i thought it was overkill to continue to go through seven coaches i didn't even ask a couple of them uh and like i said with with whitney there was only two coaches uh quoted and to me that's maybe what he could have done a little bit because with with hagan's specifically it just feels like piling on when you've got seven of these coaches all just uber critical of him. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that Sam has an agenda here. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, as an article, when you, when you know that these coaches uh, are competing against Kentucky, I mean, one coach in here mentions that, you know, John Petty at Alabama, it's clearly he's an SEC coach. We don't know how many of these guys are SEC coaches, but we know a good number of them are, you know, you got seven coaches in there. You got to figure maybe even as many as five of them are SEC coaches, uh, if not all seven, but then, but then, you know, when you start hearing that and you get this, there's this theme, uh, I think right off the top here, I believe he starts with um, Tyrese Maxey and the first coach, the very first quote is, I don't really care for Kentucky's guys. I'm not as high on Maxi as some people are. Okay, well, this coach right here, I don't know if he's in the SEC or not, but Kentucky was the SEC champ. You're not really high. I don't really care for Kentucky's guys. You mean the SEC player of the year? You mean the team that's won the SEC championship? You mean the one that has Nick Richards, who was also an SEC player of the year candidate, and Ashton Hagen's defensive player of the year? You know what I mean? Right. I can see where people look at this and go, well, all these guys are, you might not be a Kentucky hater, you know, the author, Sam, but everybody you interviewed is a Kentucky hater. And when you don't make them be accountable for it and give them anonymity, then now you're printing quotes from seven Kentucky haters on five different guys, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely, uh, I think that's definitely one uh, viable um, way to interpret that. And also, the, the thing, I, I, the point I don't think I finished making is, if I'm Kentucky, though, I'm like taking a victory lap about this because if all the coaches that you played thought your players sucked and you won the league by like <laughs> what three or four games, they like they won the league by a mile. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were going to get a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament and be a contender. It's pretty good. I mean, without the benefit of the SEC or NCAA tournament, no postseason games at all. They won 25 games uh, with a bunch of bum-ass players, apparently. <laughs> well, so, yeah, Joel Justice's yeah. response, he's called them tough guy coaches, and he loves hearing expert opinions and very few W's, hashtag get in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I I think there's there's that side of it too. Um, but I mean, I would also say um, I think any reasonable person would look at this team, and it's one one of the reasons people are starting to get excited about the next year's roster because it has more high end guys. Like this was a just like this was a team full of guys that like were not really sensations. You know, they didn't have and Anthony Davis, they didn't have a Zion, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have a Carl Towns, they didn't have anybody that you just go like, this guy's dominant from day one, or like, this guy is must-see basketball. I mean, Emmanuel quickly didn't even start every game. I mean, he he came on, you know, halfway through the season, and and ended up winning SEC Player of the Year, but, you know, that that wasn't an immediate thing. Um, You know, Nick Richards had... You know, still had a handful of games where he didn't play great. Um, you know, faded a little bit down the stretch. Had a really, really strong run of games in the middle that made everybody stand up and take notice of how improved he was. But again, like Nick Richards was not a superstar. Uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel quickly was really not a season-long superstar. He kind of became a guy that everybody started to watch. Um, it looked on opening night like. Tyrese Maxey was going to be a superstar. He drops 26 in the garden on Michigan state, but that happened like three times all year. Um, and he was not a superstar. He's not, none of the guys on this year's team were really like the star quality players that Cal's had in those really exciting years in the past. In the early, you know, first half of his tenure at Kentucky, we've talked about how they haven't really had as many of those high end guys lately. Cause they haven't gotten them in recruiting. And now they're, you know, they got two of them this year. Plus you add an all ACC guy in SAR and people are like, okay, this is going to be more like one of those teams. Um, But if you look at this objectively and with some, without, you know, blue tinted glasses, these were not great players. They were all pretty flawed. I mean, really every guy on the team had some flaw Um, and some of them huge flaws. So I, I, it's a weird spot to be in because I'm really uncomfortable by about like anonymous dudes who might be your rival coaches just taking a big dump on your players with you know no. <laughs> well, I mean, here's a choice line right here, coach number five on Emmanuel Quickly. I think he benefited from poor officiating in the way he got fouled and sent to the line. <laughs> you think he yes. faced Kentucky and Emmanuel Quickly went to right. the line double digit times in that right. game? Didn't didn't one of them call him a flopper? I think. Called uh, Nick Richards a flop. Oh, Nick Richards a flop. Somebody yeah. said same, that Nick was, the same, was, was that the same coach? The coach that uh, was was critical of the one of the coaches was really hung up on officiating all through the. Let's see, coach number five on Nick Richards. Uh, coach number five on Nick Richards said, 
our guys took it to him and took his heart out of his chest. Yeah, which is weird. Like, I don't know. Is that Bruce Pearl? Sounds like Bruce Pearl. Yeah. He got a lot better. I think he's a flopper. I don't think he's very <laughs> tough. Our guys took it to him and took his heart out of his chest. Took his heart out of his chest does sound a lot like Pearl. Uh, yeah. Sam refused to tell me even, like, who he talked <laughs> to for this. He wouldn't. Not only would he not tell me who each coach was, he wouldn't even tell me who he talked to for this. But right. I feel very strongly that Bruce Pearl is in this uh, somewhere. Uh, yeah. I think Coach Five is Bruce Pearl. Yeah, I, you know, it's like three different people texting me that Coach Five has got to be Bruce Pearl. It's funny, um, <laughs> but I have no idea. I really have no idea. I would, I would, uh, I just wouldn't say anything if I did know. But I, Sam was keeps that under lock and key. I'm really interested to read the others because he he did tell me that some of the other players that he did these on got some scathing uh, reviews from coaches as well. So it's not really just a Kentucky thing. And I think I also point out again, it's. Some of it's just reality. You have to face reality. Like this, this is not a great crop of players. They have one guy who's probably going in the first round, and then a bunch of guys who are going to be praying through the second round. Uh, you know, Emmanuel quickly is probably not going to go in the first round. Maxi will, and then everybody else is a second rounder. And really, after quickly, I would think everybody like Maxi, and then quickly early maybe in the second round. After that, everybody else is going to be worried sick that they're even going to be drafted at all. You know, yeah. Nick Richards projected at the end of the second round and, you know, Hagen's at the end of the second round, which means you could go undrafted easily. Um, nobody's drafting Khalil Whitney. Nobody's drafting EJ Montgomery. Um, no. So there's some, a lot of this, what's in there is just reality. And if you go back to last year's piece, when Sam did this exact thing, I mean, those were better players. That was a better crop of pro prospects. I mean, that was a team that very well, you know, could have and probably should have been in, in the final four and, and maybe won the title. And that, that staff knew that about that group. I mean, right. you had a dominant PJ Washington. You had a, the, just a dynamic scorer and shooter in, in Tyler hero. Um, you know, Keldon Johnson was kind of hit or miss, but he was always going to bring you energy and, and hustle and, you know, really reliable guy and Reed Travis. But and when you go through, you know, and PJ, uh, Tyler and uh, who did I just say? I just uh, Keldon. Yeah, Keldon all went in the first round. You had three first rounders last year. And so if you go back and look at this piece Sam did last year, it's largely positive. It's anonymous coaches saying largely positive things about those guys because they were better pro prospects as a group yeah. than this is. Uh, so, so there is some, there is some harsh reality to some of these uh, criticisms. All right, well, we'll move on from this. Um, and just a, a few tidbits before we go to break. Um, Musa Sisse has committed to Memphis, as we um, figured he would. All the all the predictions were that he would. So the, the five-star, six-foot-ten big man uh, going to Memphis. If there's a 2020 season, he's committed to go there. Um, and then uh, another basketball note, Anthony Epps, former Kentucky Wildcat great joins the Northern Kentucky University women's basketball coaching staff. Cameron Whitaker is the head coach at NKU, and she was on Matthew Mitchell's staff at Kentucky when Anthony's daughter, Michaela Epps, played for the Wildcats. So um, kind of cool to see Anthony Epps uh, get into D1 women's coaching. Be kind of neat to, to follow and keep up with. But when we return, we're going to talk about Olivier Saar. Uh, as I teased earlier at the beginning of the show, 
Kyle had a, has an article out there now on The Athletic that you can go read where he talked to Mike Bray, Leonard Hamilton, Josh Pastner, Jeff Capel, and Danny Manning all about Olivier Saar. We'll discuss it next on Locked On Kentucky. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. All right, we're back here on Locked On Kentucky, and we teased this article in yesterday's podcast, Kyle, where you got a chance to uh, to get the thoughts from several coaches who faced Olivier Saar in the SEC last or ACC last season, Notre Dame, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh. Uh, and then you also were able to talk to the man himself, Danny Manning, who was Olivier Saar's coach and who he convinced to come back for another season because, as he said in the article, uh, he believed that Olivier Saar could be first team all ACC possibly ACC player of the year. When you're talking about ACC player of the year, you're talking about all American, uh, potentially first team, all American. So he really, uh, and then he took it a step further and said, now you're talking about lottery picks. So he really saw this season for Olivier Saar to be the one where he takes that next step and becomes that guy. And now that guy that he's talking about is on Kentucky's roster. Yeah, it's uh, it, I was real. It took me forever to track down Danny Manning because, to my knowledge, I hadn't seen him talk anywhere about Sar since the decision uh, to transfer. Since Danny got fired, he's sort of been laying low. So I thought it was interesting, you know, to hear what he thought of him as a player, but also you know what he thought of the the waiver process. And he was really kind of hesitant about that, so he didn't really want to talk about you know how or if he participated in you know, helping. Olivier Saar apply for that waiver. I, I believe mm-hmm. he did probably put a letter of recommendation in that file or, you know, sort of an explanation of the scenario from his perspective, which we've talked about before, you know, the season ends and Saar has had this great finish to the season. He averaged, you know, 20 and 10 over the last five games and made third team all ACC decides with Danny Manning, former number one pick himself, big man, you know, I'll come back one more year and work with him and, and, you know, solidify myself as a pro and the day before literally the day before the NBA's early draft entry deadline uh they fired Danny Manning at Wake which is like five or six weeks after the season so the timing there is really the case for Saar even though subsequently in the last month or so the NBA has moved changed this deadline and given people more time because of the pandemic and all that um at the time that was the situation um, he felt like he didn't get a chance to make a fair decision, so he transferred to Kentucky. Um, and Danny wouldn't talk a lot about his his participation in that waiver process, but he did say that he was you know hopeful that he would get it. He was fully supportive of him getting it. Yeah. Um, and then Mike Bray, uh, who you know the best game of Sar's career came against Mike Bray, thirty and seventeen in late February against Notre Dame, uh, and then I think in another game he had like eighteen and nine against Notre Dame. He was a, a real pain in their side. Um, he said, you can make a great case. And given his circumstances, he should get the waiver. Uh, I think we talked about this yesterday. I, I have heard that behind the scenes, Kentucky feels very good about the chance that he's going to get a waiver and probably soon. Uh, Cal, yeah. Perry, Cal Perry used the word confident yesterday. So I, I wanted to, with all that momentum that this is probably going to happen, I did want to go kind of get a real, a better sense for what actually is he as a player and what could he make Kentucky if he is eligible right away? And there was some really interesting stuff. I mean, Manning was really good kind of 
setting the stage with his thoughts on sort of what he's developed, uh, you know, how he's developed. He came here from France three years ago, and every year he played more minutes. He played, got more points. He got more rebounds. He got better every year in three years at Wake. And I didn't realize that Sar had had a, a big growth spurt, you know, kind of Anthony yeah. Davis sort of uh, situation where he was a guard or a wing because of his height for years and years and years. And then late in his high school career, he has a big growth spurt. Now he's a seven footer and he had to kind of learn how to play. And he said, you know, learn how to deal with the pain of those growth spurts. Cause you hurt all the time while you're still growing and yeah. then learn to play American basketball. And he kind of put all that together at the end of last season, which was really just starting, you know, to show, okay, this is what this guy could be as a, as a seven footer at a high level. Uh, so that was all interesting. And then, you know, Jeff Capel, I thought was really good calling him, you know, other than Vernon Carey uh, at Duke, who was a right. top five recruit, uh, one and done, said other than him, thought he was the next best big guy in the ACC. Um, you know, Josh Pastner at Georgia Tech said, you know, if he's eligible right away, one of the five or ten best teams in the country, Kentucky would be. Um, Leonard Hamilton was interesting at Florida State because he – uh, was like less effusive in praise of him and just kind of said, uh, you know, he the wasn't all that all kind of run together. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't even, it wasn't even that memorable. He didn't have a big, it was yeah. one of the games where he didn't have a big game because he played early. All, all his, his big surge was late in the year in, in January. He, he was in foul trouble and he went for 10 and seven against Florida state. And so he just said, you know, he's big and he's skilled and, you know, it looks like he can, you know, play high or low, like a lot of European guys. So versatile. But didn't didn't think he was super memorable. But he and pretty much all the coaches did make the point that the biggest value is when you got a team with one dude who played any minutes last season and a yeah. six new freshmen uh, and no other real big men that are proven. The the huge value in SAR is just that you've got a guy who knows how to play college basketball and who played who has gone through seasons of playing night in and night out the best teams in the country and the best players in the country. Cause the ACC, the basketball is really good there. Um, and so they all thought that was super valuable, just sort of the steadiness that he'll bring, not being overwhelmed by that moment. Yeah. We should note that Leonard Hamilton, I believe is 90, uh, 78 years old, almost said 98 years old, <laughs> but he doesn't look that. I mean, he doesn't look that he was born in, I'm sorry. He was born in 1948. He is 71 years old. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, I guess. That's he, right. he's about, so he's about to turn 72 in all, here in like two weeks, three weeks. He'll be 72. Um, anyway, um, you know, as you read that article and just every coach pretty much says that, yeah, Kentucky's going to be so much better. Uh, with Olivier Saar, but uh, Danny Manning's comments on what, how he's developed and what he's going to be, uh, I think should really get Kentucky fans excited about what's to come uh, with Olivier Saar. And as we said, we, we expect him to be, to be granted that waiver. There's so many other uh, cases out there. And Calipari made the point, you look at our guys who've gone on um, quad a green, uh, just recently, Johnny Juzang has already been granted his eligibility. Um, who was the other one he mentioned? Um, uh, Juzang, Jamal Baker. Uh, yeah, Jamal Baker. Yeah, you know, Wade Green, all those guys. All have been granted. And all went to power conference schools. Yeah, they went to right. you know, big-time schools. 
And he said, so we know, you know, we kind of know what goes into it on that side of it. Like what it, what it takes for them to get their eligibility waiver um, on that side. So understanding that we feel pretty good about where we stand on it. Yeah. I think it would be, I don't know if the NCAA takes this into consideration. Uh, probably not, but the, just the, the uproar from Kentucky, Kentucky's coach, Kentucky's fans. Oh, every, yeah. I mean, the uproar, oh, yeah. if he doesn't get this waiver, do you really want to deal with that headache? I mean, I don't know. No. Jay Billis would be no. coming out with guns blazing, Nick Vitale, everybody. I mean, it would uh, very rarely is everybody kind of on Kentucky's side, but I think a lot of people in this case, a lot of it's on the, being on the kids' side. Like, Olivier Saar deserves to play college basketball this season if they yeah. the season. Right. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Locked On Kentucky. We'll have uh, one more this week, either tomorrow or Friday, just depending on you know, what's going on out there, what we can talk about. Uh, but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter. If you have a suggestion, something you want us to talk about, you got a question, I'm at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Kyle is at? Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. All right. Now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NFL. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>